Hello, and welcome to the Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bilotti. And welcome to Build. I'm your host, Maggie Crowley. Welcome to Operations. My name is Sean Lane. And we are all here today. The three of us run podcasts here at Drift. And we were thinking that we could do something special to wrap up the year of 2020, get all three of us on a podcast together and talk about what it's like to record a podcast in addition to our full-time jobs, maybe some of the stuff we've learned along the way. We're kind of just winging it here and we think it'll be useful. So we're going to roll with it. This is so exciting. I don't think we've ever, the three of us got together and actually just talked about the experience of doing this. Yeah, I agree. I feel like there's a lot of Slack threads here and there, but not a lot of actual discussion about the lifestyle of the side hustle podcast. Yeah, love it. So we all supposedly wrote our own few questions that we wanted to toss out to the group and talk about. I guess we can open up with a starting point one, which is, so we've all done at least, Sean, you're on like, you've recorded at least 50 episodes. I don't think you've launched all of them yet. Yep. So we've all done 50. I would love to get a sense of how you think about the podcast today versus how you thought about when you first started. Like how has it shifted or changed, if at all, in the topics, the mindset you have or or anything like that? So Maggie, why don't you, you kick us off if you have something? Sure. It's a good question. I don't think, at least my, I'm curious to hear, Sean, your answer, because from my perspective, your podcast is more structured than mine was definitely at the beginning. I think I started or I know that I started just by with an idea that I would talk about all all the topics that we talk about in products and I would try to find some smart people who could come on the show and I could learn from and there would be a mix of solo episodes and interviews and not even really sure what I would get into. So that's really where I started and now now that I've done I think I'm on like 65 episodes, I'm much more interested in targeted conversations, going deeper into specific topics, and trying to get into examples. I feel like the first season or so of the show was like high level, what is product? And now that I've done all that content, I'm really more interested in, okay, well, now what? How do we go deeper? How do we get better? So I think that's sort of changing the show. Yeah, I think my approach has been pretty similar. I think, you know, those first 10 episodes, you're kind of still feeling it out and trying to learn how to even have the conversations and what questions to ask. And you want to play to your guests' strengths as well. But I think since then, it's more been trying to find like a specific theme or topic that can encompass the entire episode, right? And you can bring multiple topics inside of that. But if you have one kind of larger umbrella theme that you're trying to tackle within that conversation, like that to me has generated the best conversations or the best episodes. And it's funny to look back at some of the episodes that we've done. And I don't know if it's like this for you, Matt, or for you, Maggie, but I can look back and I can basically trace like what I was working on internally at Drift (laughs) to the episodes, right? Like, oh, yeah, this is when we were working on this. And I can tell that because I had an episode about it. I couldn't agree more. I was thinking about that. The arc of the show overall is absolutely matches. What am I working on? What do I think I don't know how to do? And then I match up, okay, crap, I have to go work on this thing. Like, let me find someone to tell me about it. And then we take a bunch of notes and do, go do that when I have to go present to Craig. Yeah, I feel like having the podcast is sort of a, a bit of a cheat code to connect with somebody that is an expert or could be a mentor in any given thing that you're working on. In addition to what we were just talking about here, I also love the clarity of starting because you both said you started the podcast with like rough ideas And now over time, it has turned into like each episode is a deep dive. And I've seen the same thing. I kind of thought about it early on of let me just find really smart growth people and have 
good conversations and they'll be interesting. And now I think of it much more as I want to create a library, which is the like 101 or deep dive on any given growth strategy tactic, whatever it might be, which I think seems to be kind of the natural progression of, of these types of shows. You start with a broad theme, you get the basics out of the way, and then you go into like, how can somebody look at your library and pick the thing off the shelf, whether it's tomorrow or three years from now and say, we're trying to do this thing. Let me go take this episode because that's the one where I'm going to learn that from. Matt, like, I feel like people who listen to your show might not know that you are also like the MC of our company, right? You are like the host of Drift in, in, in so many different ways. And so I'm curious, like, what does your prep look like when you're getting ready for one of those episodes that you're trying to build out that library? Do you do something similar for some of your internal hosting duties at Drift that you do with the podcast? Like, what does your prep look like? Yeah, and I'd love to ask the same question of, of both of you. So my prep generally is... First, find the guest, which is a whole lot of headhunting who I think has done like just people who I think have done really interesting things or have really fascinating backgrounds. And then the prep looks like I get on a call with them for 15 to 20 minutes, talk through what topics maybe they have top of mind that they could bring on the show or that they have worked on a lot. And we pick out something that could be a really good fit. And then I I basically just put together a rough outline of questions that I want to make sure that I cover. And it's more meant as a guide to the conversation rather than how the conversation actually goes. And I send it to them a few days ahead of time and give them a chance to redirect it or add stuff or remove things. And some guests prep a lot, some don't really. And kind of either way, it's it's fine with me. But I wouldn't say my prep is all that insane for it. I, I build a rough draft of it. And then we we kind of go into it together. Yeah, I agree. I do a very similar thing. And it's interesting. There are some people who, generally speaking, it aligns with what their title is. So CEOs and founders typically don't want to do any prep and just want to hop on and see what happens. And then someone who is maybe more the same level as me or maybe more junior or whatever might want to do a lot more prep, which is always interesting. But I also have realized over time that when I first started the just the idea that, oh, if I just got a smart person and we just had a conversation, it's definitely going to be interesting. It's just not true because relying on that level of serendipity is so dangerous because you might just have a really boring conversation. So I spend a lot more time making sure I have a backlog of questions just in case because I want to make sure that no matter how the conversation goes, I can kind of move it forward. So I think the only thing that I would add to what you guys are saying about your prep is I actually have found it really helpful to have like a pre-meeting with the guests to talk about some of those potential topics. And so the thing that I found most helpful about those pre-meetings isn't doesn't have anything to do with the prep that I've done. It's more that I can learn more about what they are working on at that moment in time. And that's usually where I've got the best topics um, where I just start by saying, look, you know, I've done a bunch of research. I have a handful of potential topics that we could talk about. But before I even go into my research, tell me about what you are passionate about. Tell me about what you've been working on recently within your company. And that has always, for me, generated the best topics. And so by the time they start talking about that, it's more often than not that I actually try to stop them and say, okay, like, I don't want to hear anymore. Like, let's save this for when we are actually doing the recording. And so those like 30 minute pre-meetings usually are what have started to generate the best episode topics for me. Yeah, I super agree with that. 
I want to ask a different question, though, because we've skipped into kind of how we all do the show. But I'm really curious because I don't think I've ever asked either of you this. Why did both of you decide to audition for the show? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't think I've ever told either of you this, but even in in that process of quote unquote auditioning, and just to give people some context, our CEO and our VP of marketing had their own show. One of the pieces of feedback that we got from this great community that they had built up was that people wanted more function specific lessons. And so we decided as a company that we were going to double down on the show that we had before called Seeking Wisdom and start to build out these function specific tracks of podcasts that drift. And to be honest with both of you, my original pitch to DC was to do a sales podcast. Really? Yeah, I was convinced that no one would listen to a show about operations. And so like my first couple of guests, my audition, my submission to him was all with sales leaders. And he emailed me back and he's like, why are you doing this about sales? <laughs> you should be doing this about what happens inside of hyper growth companies within operations teams. And I think like a lot of that came from the fact that like I had just not seen operations stories told very well before. And once we actually like cracked that open and started to talk to like these smart operators inside of these fast growing companies, like my perspective completely changed. But at the beginning, I was all in on doing it for sales because I was just convinced no one would listen to a show about operations. That's amazing. Whenever we get feedback from David Cancel, it's always insanely helpful. And that is certainly no exception. For me, I had auditioned because from prior things that I've done, I've learned how much how much benefit you can get from just being able to pick the brain of really smart people. And it just seemed like an amazing opportunity to do that. And additionally, like the growth topic came up as one that we wanted to run the podcast for. And I had just moved in to a growth type role four to six months prior to that. And I remember spending a lot of time poking around on the internet looking for other podcasts that were about growth or blog posts and everything was sort of fragmented and I couldn't find like a really good library of content on it. And so I felt a little bit lost and it just seemed like there was a a really clear gap and space for content in that. And I, I felt like I had through the internal drift MC skills and and all the other stuff, I, I felt like I had a decent set of tools to be able to build that up by bringing on awesome people. So that's why I jumped on. Yeah, I think for me, it was probably similar, Matt, to you just wanting to have a place where a better resource for operators in products, just because there's a lot of how to get into product content and a lot of content around the role, but not a lot of, okay, I'm a product manager, now what type of stuff. So that was definitely part of it. But I think the other part for me was it was totally outside of my comfort zone, super scary. I had no idea how it would work. And I often find when those opportunities come around, I try to run towards them because it always means I'm going to learn something. So I think I I remember when DC was like, oh, we're going to open up auditions. And I immediately was like, oh, no. And then I said, wait, I should probably do that. Maggie, it's interesting because you mean you were the pioneer, right? You were the first one of the three of us to do it. And so I think Matt, I don't know about you, but I definitely benefited from watching you and trying to learn from kind of some of your early ideas and the way you were going after guests and things like that. We all, I think, have talked a lot about the idea that doing this is, Matt said, it's like a cheat code of, of your way to talk to smart people. Is there a different benefit other than that, that you feel like looking back at your 60 plus episodes that has surprised you as something that you've now taken away from from hosting the show that you weren't expecting? 
Yeah, I didn't expect that it would have such an impact on the quality of my day-to-day work. So there definitely is the cheat code part. There's a network building aspect that I didn't, I guess I also didn't really expect that the guests would become, some of them definitely become people in my network that I talk to regularly. That was a huge surprise. But I think really what I didn't expect was that I would be, when I'm not doing the podcast, right, which is not our full-time job, that I would be better at what I was doing. So I absolutely think that it gave me a way to get better at a lot of the core functions of products, especially things like communication and presentation and making choices. So that for me was a real surprise. Yeah, I think for me, in addition to all the stuff that Maggie just said, I feel like it forced me to get better at asking good questions because I think good podcasts are only built when good questions are asked. And I have learned that through trial and error in in building this podcast. I feel like being in a growth role, product role, like I'm sure operations too, like in any type of role, you are most effective when you can ask really good questions, challenge your team members. Why are they thinking things a certain way? How can we do this thing better? And I feel like that the constant exercise of what are great questions that I can ask where I can learn and many other people can learn from, from this person that is clearly a wealth of knowledge, is just a really good forcing function for getting better at at being critical about what is a good framing of a question and where are we going to learn the most. Maggie, I think to your point about just the impact on your day-to-day, the, the other benefit that I would add to that is we talk at Drift internally a lot about role models and there's no better way to bring a role model example to the conversation than to say, oh yeah, well, I, you know, talked to the president of Showpad and the way that he runs his, you know, professional services program is X, right? And so again, you know, yes, we're learning for our personal benefit and yes, we're learning for the benefit of our audience, but then to be able to take those specific examples of actually how their companies are run. And when we're trying to solve a problem internally, be able to reference a specific person at a respected company and say, this is how they do that and know that that's how they do it, right? This brings so much more credence to whatever argument you're trying to make. Yeah, I love that when I can line up a guest and a problem or something that we're working on internally and say, okay, we're, we're, we have this thorny strategy question. Okay, I just spent an hour talking with one of the VPs from Box about how he thinks about strategy. And then the thing that doesn't get into the show, and I'm curious if you guys do this, is that After we're done recording, usually there's a couple minutes where our files have to upload. And that's when I have saved two, three questions that I need to know where I can be really specific about stuff that I might not feel comfortable sharing in the recording. But that's when I'm like, okay, this is the real story that I'm dealing with. What would you do? And so I'm always trying to get some like cheat code advice from these people right after I record. Yeah, I always feel like those post few minutes of recording or when I get some really interesting answers. And I I kick myself sometimes because and I joke to them like, I wish we had this thing on the podcast. (laughs) But but I think that that also kind of goes to the uh, the rapport that you build, like generally leads to better conversations. And so you just kind of build that up over the course of an episode. And and I think it's tricky sometimes where you have episodes where it feels like it starts slow, but then you get some really incredible stuff towards the end. And I released those episodes. And I'm like, man, I really hope people like stick with this one, right? Like, I, it's hard for me to tell them, like, make sure to really listen through the end. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I didn't realize is that it would broaden my employment prospects. I absolutely think that 
this is the type of thing that I can point to, that people can see how I think and could know if I were to interview somewhere, it's really easy for me to demonstrate what I know about because I have this whole library of things that I've talked about. And it also gives you access to those people. So it's like a weird sort of job thing as well. And then the other thing is, Sean and Matt, I don't know if this shows up for you, but when we're recruiting, it's really funny when someone gets into an interview and they say, oh yeah, I listened to this episode when you and Craig were talking about blah, you know, I'm really interested in doing product that way. Yeah, I definitely have had that happen during the interview process, right? And one, it shows that the candidate has actually done a little bit of research and gone the extra mile to hear about how we think or how we approach problems at Drift specifically. But also it is brought about for me, like some of the best jumping off points in those interviews and in those conversations, because, you know, it's something that hopefully if I've put out a full episode on, I've thought a little bit about, and then from them listening to it, they are bringing some of their own perspective and it, it helps you to, to learn about how they think and how they would approach the problem and, and how they would be as a collaborator on those types of problems. So hundred percent agree with you on that, Maggie. And I think the other kind of added benefit in terms of just like networking and, and personal outreach. And Maggie, you told me this was going to happen right at the beginning was you just hear from people who are completely outside of your network, right? You get to hear from folks who have somehow stumbled across an episode of your show and they give you this amazing story about how they then took that and applied it to their role. Or I actually had one person who used that the, the episode that they had listened to in an interview at a different company, and that helped them get a job. And so that was like a wild experience too. And so I think there's a whole bunch of different kind of network effects of being a host and and being on one of these shows. Yeah, that's so cool. That's the most rewarding part about it is finding out that this episode helped this team at some company I've never heard of get through a really thorny problem or whatever it might be. I, I think to me, at the end of the day, when I look back on the podcast, like I love the fact that I built this library. I love that I get the personal branding from it. But for me, it's the hearing from people that have listened to it and, and hearing how those episodes have helped them in their day-to-day or on their team or building a new strategy or whatever it might be. Like That is really, really what I find to be the most rewarding part. Yeah, I agree. I think one of my favorite moments of that was I have a friend who constantly mocks me for working in tech and having a podcast, as one does. <laughs> and then you know, eventually texted me one day and said, I'm really annoyed about the fact that I had this question and I knew you had recorded on it and I listened and it helped. And I'm just frustrated that I have to tell you that. And I thought that was my like peak, peak happiness of doing the podcast was even getting one of those people something that's helpful. That's amazing. I'm curious, you both kind of talked about the fact that you think your show has evolved since it started. Matt said, we're, we're doing this to wrap up the year. As we look ahead to 2021 and beyond, are you guys thinking at all about how your show can take another next step or another iteration? Like, are there things that you are thinking that you could do to kind of stretch what you do today? Yeah, I can I can go first, Matt. I think yes is the short answer, but what I'm really interested in doing is some stuff that I would say is is sort of level 2 podcasting. So if w- what I've been doing is sort of the safe option, what I want to really focus on next year is I want to have more disagreements. It's really hard to record a show when you don't both agree on the thing, and I would love to have an idea I've been kicking around is I personally really struggle with case interviewing. I think it's really hard. 
And I don't really understand why we do it in product. And so I would love to get someone who does the case interview for Amazon or Google or someone to come on the show. And I want us to argue about it because I want to have that kind of discussion. So I want to do more stuff like that. And then I also want to do more solo episodes. I think those are a lot harder for me. So I want to push that one a little bit further. Yeah, I'm totally with Maggie on more solos. They're definitely more challenging, but they really help you crystallize your own thinking on certain topics. And then I I think another thing that I would love to do more of, which I've started doing towards the end of this year in episodes is I think a lot of conversations could, if you're given any specific topic, could focus so much on the stuff that seems straightforward or is straightforward about any given process or tactic or campaign or whatever it might be. However, there's always this mess behind it that doesn't get brought up in the blog post or any other given interview where a team is implementing this new strategy. Here are the steps that they did. But there's this other side of the story of like the fights that they had internally with the leadership on this other team and how many slide decks they had to make to get the buy-in, like all that stuff, like the real, real part of it that is the struggle of the day-to-day and not just the glossed over, like this is how to do the thing. Like I really want to get deep on that part of it so people could really understand and, and connect with the, like it's actually not that easy. This stuff is hard and here's all the hard stuff that usually people don't talk about. It's not all that glamorous uh, on every single one of those projects as the, as the blog post or the product announcement would, would make it sound. I don't think it's ever been glamorous. <laughs> I'm with you, Maggie, on the, on the debate piece. I think the one potential twist that I was thinking about for my show is I would love to bring two guests on who have that differing opinion and kind of Ooh. let them go at it, right? Like, I think in ops, people have very strongly held preferences around things like the tools they use or the architecture that they set up. And so I would love to bring on one person from one company who loves one version and one person who loves the absolute opposite and and let them go at it, right? And I think there's a way to have that conversation without it being contentious, but that's one of the things I'm looking forward to for next year. I love that. Sean's like, hey, you two people, you're really smart. Go on this podcast and I'll publish it. I'll just hang out in the background. (laughs) It's called being a facilitator, Matt. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I, I love that idea. I, I think it's something that, right, like you you have your own perspective you can bring to the table and you can carry it with your own opinions. But sometimes the clearly different set of experience will just get a, a really other level type conversation. So that's a great idea. I might do that too. Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking about for this is that it's just hard, Matt, for the example that you're talking about. I would, I also love to get into the messy stuff, but it's so hard to talk about our work without giving so much context on what our business is up to. And that's the thing I struggle with is like, I want to talk about, yeah, I had to make 15 versions of this deck and make 17 presentations to finally get this go ahead to do this thing. And Matt, you probably know what I'm talking about, but I can't talk about it because it's not live and it has a lot to do with our strategy. So that's something I always struggle with is how to get real without sort of giving away the all the secrets. Yeah, that's that's so tough. And same thing, the guests feel that way too. If it's something that is really top of mind and the businesses, you know, prospects rely on that thing working, like they're not really going to want to uncover it all. So I, I've generally found that finding folks that, did that type of work three to four years ago and are now onto another role and the company has like moved on from that stage, that type of person is more willing to dive into the dive into those details. 
Okay, so my last question would be, what's the number one either lesson you learned from the podcast this year or piece of advice you got from a guest? Wow, really putting us on the spot here. (laughs) I'll go first, Matt. So I think the lesson or the story that honestly like just blew me away was I had this woman named Karen Borchert who was telling me this story about... I asked the guests at the end of each episode about someone who impacted them getting the job they have today. And Karen, like without missing a beat, said Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I was like, all right, go on. And she basically said that she was out. I'm going to butcher the story, but she was out on a run and she was listening to the Hamilton soundtrack for the first time. And she literally just stopped in the middle of her run to be like, wow, this is amazing. And as a result of that, she was like, I'm marveling at the work that this person has done. And I'm not marveling at the work that I would am doing. And she quit her job. And then she went and found the gig that she has now as a result of that. And like, she just kind of blew me away as someone who just had this incredibly high standard for what she was doing. And so it just, that was probably a year ago. And it just has stuck with me as one of those stories that uh, like, I don't know if I would do that uh, if I could stop myself and be like, I'm not marveling at the work I'm doing and make a ma- massive life change as a result. And so that was just like one of the, the coolest stories that I've heard from a guest. That one's pretty amazing. I don't really know if I can top that. <laughs> I, I think I think I've, I've learned that there are, I think growth has this broad overarching, like jack of all trades type term to it. Like it gets used in a lot of contexts and I have found that even when the context of how growth teams or growth people operate, there's a couple like very core similarities at companies like generally a growth team that's spun up gets kind of six months to prove itself at, at any given company. And and I, I think there are also a couple of people that I talked to. I'm looking at the list now, Christina Rubino, who we talked about the opportunity for podcasts being a growth channel through like advertising. That was a really fascinating one. We talked about product-led SEO uh, with a guy, Eli Schwartz. And to me, like those were just really interesting because they're worlds that I've touched, like done a little bit of work on, but there is so much more depth to it than I think I had realized. And talking with people like that, it just kind of shows you that there are specialists that can know something so well that anything that they say and everything that they share is like, wow, whoa, that's crazy. I didn't even think about it like that. And so I think there was just a couple of those that really blew me away. Yeah, I think my lessons are probably not as good as yours, Sean, but different because I think the thing I learned this year was that across all of the guests that I've had, the ones who are really amazing at their jobs have this sort of magical combination of of curiosity and humor around the work that they do. And it really shows up in how they talk about it and how they're, yeah, this crazy thing happened and I learned so much and how wild was that? And they're super flexible and just this attitude that they all have. And I thought it was really cool to meet a bunch of people who were having fun in the work that they do, even when it's really hard. Love that. Fun, guys. Yeah, this was great. I'm glad that we did it. And we finished just in time. We got a little bit of a start late because there were power tools going on in my apartment. (laughs) But here we are and we made it. I think we should make this an annual tradition. We'll have to do a a end of year wrap up and see what we what we bring back to the table next year. I love it. Absolutely. I have a feeling that we're going to publish this and then we're all going to get a message from DC saying, why wasn't I invited? (laughs) (laughs) 
We'll have him on next year, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if he makes the cut. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. And thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. This one's getting published in all of our feeds. Thanks again. Thanks for following our podcast, reaching out to us, giving us feedback, whatever it might be. We are all extremely appreciative and we will catch you on our next episodes. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. 